You are listening to Pastor Ben Eckel of Calvary Chapel, Keweenaw Peninsula, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Tune in each week as Pastor Ben teaches through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Or watch us live on Sunday mornings at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our Facebook page. You can access our library of teachings at www.ccqanon.com. All right, so 2 Kings chapter 11, we read last week about Jehu. Jehu had the task of uh, cleaning house, getting rid of the idolatry, and uh, now we're dealing with Athalia. Athalia happens to be Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. So you can imagine... The apple doesn't really fall far from the tree with her, okay? She's going to follow in mom's footsteps in a lot of respects. In, in verse 1 it says, When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. Now Ahaziah was was kind of like he's, he was mixed between the two kingdoms. He, he had relatives, of course, from Ahab's camp, but he was... He was part of uh, the kingly line down in uh, uh, Judah. And so he was killed. And Ahaziah saw this opportunity. She murders all the heirs to King David's throne. She perceived them as a threat. Her lust for the throne will cause her to murder all of her her grandchildren. What a nice lady. She's trying to usurp the throne by force. She's going to be the only queen of Judah. Satan has either demonically possessed her or inspired her in order to snuff out the promises of God. See, God made a covenant with David. Right? He says that the scepter will never depart from his throne. Okay, And it says, since Satan doesn't really know the future, right? he's, he's in the moment as you and I are, uh, he's going to do his best to try to snuff out the promises of God, especially those concerning the Messiah and the future of Israel. You see that in the news now. Why is everybody so anti-Israel? What's behind that? Well, Satan is, right? No, the church did not replace Israel for those who believe in replacement theology. There's no spiritual Israel and secular Israel. There's Israel. I've been there, right? We're in church, but I've been to Israel. The church and Israel are not the same. But the idea here is there are still promises that Christ will fulfill specifically to the nation of Israel. And we've seen historically what he has done to snuff out the line of the Messiah. Let's go back to Cain and Abel, right? Cain killed Abel because he thought, well, based on what God had told his mom and dad, that since he wasn't really a righteous guy, the promises would have had to come through Abel. So he kills Abel. Problem solved. Well, Seth is going to come. Then you look down 
where Satan mingled in with the daughters of, of, of uh, humanity and created the Nephilim and the world was corrupt beyond all repair and God spared who? Noah and his family, right? That was a satanic attempt to corrupt the whole human race. Now, you, you get into the other stories. You've got, uh, uh, remember Balaam tried to curse the, the nation of Israel, tried to get them involved with non-believing women. Can you believe? You would get believers to get involved with non-believing women? Could you believe? Wow. Um, Pharaoh tried to kill all the Jewish babies when Moses was born. Uh, the story of Esther, right? They were going to kill all the Jews. And then you see Herod killing all the babies when Christ was born. And even at the crucifixion of Christ, we see Satan going, oh, I got you. I got you. And then three days later, he's like, oh, right? Imagine Satan going, really? Satan knows he is a defeated foe. But that's not going to stop him from trying, is it? He's doing a fighting retreat. And anyone who's ever raised a child, they know this at every bedtime, the fighting retreat. They're going to make you pay, right? You, co you come out of that bedroom after you lay him down, your face is scratched, hair's been pulled, right? That kid is not going to let you enjoy putting him down for bed. You know, it's, it's just the sin nature there. But so Satan, he knows there is a future. He doesn't quite know it more than what he knows of the Bible. And he's going to try his very best to come against the promises of God. You know, even practically, Satan's going to come against the promises of God in your life. You know, he can't have you back. If you're born again, he can't have you back. He's going to inoculate you. He's going to render you useless. He's going to put you on the shelf. He's going to make you feel good about it, right? He's going to bait you. He's going to bribe you. He's going to give you whatever it takes for you to not walk in your promises and callings. But Satan's a murderer and a thief. And you see that in, in Ahazia here. He doesn't want the promises of God to come true. Verse 2. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years, while Athaliah reigned over the land. I like that. The conversation always starts with the word but. Okay? That's where God is working right now. But Jehoshiba. Satan will kill all but remaining one heir of David. He's got it down to one person. He's the only one left in the lineage of the Messiah. That's how close he's going to get. Athaliah will give the illusion that she was successful in her plan. As far as the rest of the nation's concerned, all the heirs are dead. She's got six years of unchecked tyranny. Evil will seem to win. The usurper will sit on the throne six years. I mean, look at, look at how you may be feeling today. You read the news and you feel like evil has the stronghold on the church, on our nation, on our community, right? You look around our secular community going... They really have no 
desire for the Lord, right? You, you look at our nation. They have no desire to get saved. All they seem to do is mock God and his people, right? You see the world. The world doesn't really have any interest in being saved or being in heaven for eternity. And that's all that Satan can do is he can manipulate, he can give us smoke and mirrors, he can, he can give the sense that we're the underdog, we're hanging on by our fingernails, we're just snuggling till the, till the rapture happens. But that's not true. God is never losing control, right? He's, he's not out of control at all in any of these scenarios here. And one of the things you need to realize is evil cannot win. It cannot. Why? Because it's not based on truth, right? Evil's based on falsehood, right? Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Who was the first person he lied to? Himself, right? And so that's what he does is he lies. He's not equal with God. God and him are not struggling in this cosmic yin-yang battle, God is going to win. He's got Satan on a leash. He's going to allow him to get things in, in God's economy rolling. What we're seeing here is called a but God moment. He makes a way when there seems to be no other way. You may want to write that on your mortgage. You may want to write that on whatever fatalistic belief you have coming against God's promise, right? See, when God makes a promise, it means it will come true, okay? It's like your salvation. You may not feel saved today, right? Is salvation a feeling? No. Salvation's a promise. Sometimes you got to just go into your Bible and underline like Romans 8, 28, all things work to the good of those who are in Christ Jesus, you got to go and, and, and underline in 1 John where it talks about these things are written to say that you are saved. Because we forget. God is going to have the final say on his word. So this is, as we would call, a but God moment. See, the thing is here is the king was always in their midst. He just wasn't recognized. Isn't that kind of the nature of Jesus? Jesus is still amongst us, right? He's still in our midst. Where, where is the king dwelling where he's safe from Ahazia, or excuse me, Athalia? The temple, right? It's like, if you wanted to hide money from me, where would you put it? Under the bag of lettuce in the refrigerator, you know? You ever bring veggies home just to die? You're just like, I'm going to sacrifice you to the refrigerator. Why? Next to the, you, you buy the, the super hard avocados, and in like three days at 9.45 p.m., they ripen and go bad. Yeah, you put them in the fridge to die. So the idea here, he's tucked away in the temple of the Lord, the one place this pagan Baal worshiper will never, ever step foot in. But keep in mind, this is how God's working. God's always present. He's always at work. And you see that he's at work today, and he's dwelling where? In the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is who? You and I, right? You and I make up the temple, right? We're living stones. We're, we're part of God's temple on earth now until he decides to remove it. There will be a time he will remove the, the temple of the Spirit when, when the rapture occurs. 
And then the world's going to get exactly what they want. And what's that? A world without God, a world without the church. Although God is still going to be working, he's going to just simply give the world, hey, this is what it's going to look like, guys. So, God had a plan. This is in the seventh year. Jehida sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Then he commanded them, saying, This is what you shall do. One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. One-third shall be at the gate of Sir, and one-third at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. You know, there's some application in this, isn't there? What did this priest do? He showed them the son of the king, right? Like Thomas, hey, Jesus, just real quick, before you leave. Show us God real quick. And he says, Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? You and I need to look at the Lord, right? We need to look, we need to stare, we need to gaze. And unfortunately, what does Satan get us preoccupied with? Ourselves. What I'm going to wear, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to do, where I'm going to spend money, how much am I going to blah, blah, blah. Right? He gets you preoccupied with your failure. You know, he gets you in a state of defeat going, oh, I suck. I can't do this. I'm not who God's called me to be. You need to sit and, and oftentimes get with your word, get with your Bible, and just look for Christ. Stare at the king, the son of the king. Although this is a young child, right? He's going to be a part of the Messiah's line. He's not developed. He's not mature. Just like... Christ is growing in you, right? He's maturing in you. You are not where you're going to be uh, today, yet tomorrow. You know what I mean? You, you need to be patient with yourself. But it says here, these men need to what? They need to keep watch. You need to keep watch, Christian, right? You and I are watchmen. We're called to watch over what goes in our minds, in our ears, out of our mouths. But we need to guard the people around us. We need to warn them. Right? We need to let people know that judgment is coming. Right? You need to maybe warn yourself today. There's things in our lives that God is going to deal with severely if you don't keep watch. That's the very avenue Satan's going to defeat you in. You can't just decide the word of God doesn't apply to you. You need to be diligent because Satan prowls around us like what? A Belgian Malinois who hasn't eaten in two hours. <laughs> That's more fierce than a lion. Those fur missiles. You ever watch those videos? He's got one. I watch these videos. These things fly. Did you know Belgian Malinois fly? They eat throats and arms. Yeah, they're crazy. So nonetheless here, you, you need to keep watch for your community, yourself, your family. It says, lest it be broken down. Okay? The buck stops with you and I, Christian. He says, even when you're off duty, when you're not at church... Right? When you're not praying, it says, you shall keep watch of the house of the Lord. It says, but you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand. Right? What's our weapon? It's your sword, your Bible. Right? It's a short sword. It's for up close and personal. Anyone ever been stabbed? 
I'd rather get shot. I took Taekwondo class. They're talking about knife fighting. Number one rule of knife fighting. Don't get into one. Number two, uh, if you put your arms up, you're going to lose. You, you, you know, you, you're, you're just going to get stabbed. They just said run. At all expenses, run. But, like, knives are dirty, aren't they? they they're, swords are dirty. It, it just, it's, I don't want to get stabbed. It just doesn't sound. But we have the word of God. It's what? Sharper than what? Any two-edged sword. We have an offensive weapon. You know, one of the things that we have to erase from our Christian vocabulary is what's called the 11th commandment. Thou shall be polite. Thou shall be nice. Right? Do not be polite enough to let people go to hell. Be rude enough to get them into heaven. Understand this, Christian. The world and your unbelieving family already hates you because of the anointing in your life, because the Holy Spirit is already shining light on their disobedience. So when the Lord brings you into close proximity, fire the shot. Just destroy them with the kindness and the love of God. Tell them it's the blood of Christ that cleanses them of all unrighteousness. Right? Tell them there's nothing they can do to earn salvation. It's a free gift. Just, just ruin their lives. Right? I like one pastor. He goes door knocking in his 70s. And, and he's like, do you want to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? And they'll say no. And he's like, then pray with me. Dear Satan, come into my life harder than you've ever come before. Completely ruin my life. Destroy my flesh. Right? Just, I invite you in prince of darkness. And they're like, why would you say that? He says, because that's just what you did by rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't think he gets invited to too many garden parties these days, but he's, he even told me, he says, if I had to be my friend, I wouldn't be my friend. I'm that guy. It's okay to be that guy. You're on guard, right? You're on watch duty. Verse 9. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehida the priest commanded. Each one of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehida the priest. And the priest gave the captains of the hundreds the spears and shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. Then the escorts stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, and around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, by the altar and the house. And he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. Little seven-year-old boy. Hand out the scroll, you know, the size of his... It's probably the book of Deuteronomy, but here you go, kid. You got work cut out for you. At what point do you start teaching your kids the, the scriptures? Do you wait till they're old enough to make their own decisions? Right? My kids can't even choose what to eat for dinner properly. You know, they want gum. Right? They want popsicles. Ain't nothing wrong with all that, right? It's good for you. <laughs> but the idea here is they... First thing they did is they crowned him and anointed him is gave him the testimony, right? Who was the guy that was going to sit and read that to the seven-year-old? Is a seven-year-old capable of understanding the scriptures? You know what the answer is? Yes. You know, the, the, uh, the average person comes to faith between the ages of four and 18, right? That, see, the world hasn't talked them out of, 
out of salvation yet. They haven't talked them out of believing in God. I find my kids are intuitive to the things of God, right? I didn't have to explain anything to my daughter. She just simply was very in tune. She prays. She understands who the Lord is, you know. But, you know, I'm not going to send her to secular schools and secular university for them to bombard that and, and talk them out of that, right? I'm going to ruin my kids' lives. I'm not going to pay some school to do it for them. <laughs> Proverbs 29.2. You guys know this. It says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. See, Judah strayed from the Lord, and they suffered needlessly. Remember, idolatry was being introduced, right? They, the kings before them weren't doing such a good job. Although this is the kingdom of Judah, this is, they had the temple, they were in the spot where, where God wanted to meet with his people. Uh, housekeeping wasn't maintained. Isn't that what happens to us? We don't housekeep. None of us deliberately backslides, hopefully. It's just a matter of housekeeping. You stop confessing your sin. And you're like, ah, oh, I can deal with that. That's okay. You know, it's nice. I'll set my coffee on it. You know, it becomes furniture. You know, that's a good sin. That's a helpful sin. I can use this. Then it becomes idolatry. You start worshiping your sin. You start worshiping the things that God says need to go. And eventually God has to judge. God has to make your life miserable. He says, when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Is there a lot of groaning in your walk right now? It means there's a wicked man on the throne of your heart, and it's probably you right? You and I make horrible gods to worship, don't we? Judah strayed from the Lord, and the, the tribe of Judah suffered needlessly. That's, that's what happens when you walk away from God. You will suffer needlessly. I watch people who've left our midst. They're always broke, right? They're in, 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 in drug bondage. They're in sex bondage. They're in alcohol bondage. They're just miserable, Nobody has ever left church in a walk with the Lord and then was this, man, gosh, it's just been so oppressive. I'm glad I've freed my constraints of God in my life. No, it never turns out that way. They're always miserable. Now, when Ophelia heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. Uh-oh, she's going to church. When she looked... There was the king standing by a pillar, according to custom, and the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And so Athalia tore her clothes and cried out, Treason! Treason! Here's my note. Accusations are confessions. Right? Our sin is always ugliest on other people. Same thing for her, Athalia. She's accusing them of treason. But who was the one guilty of treason? She was. How humiliating, a seven-year-old boy. That must have really soured her day. You ever, you ever play video games with a little kid and they win? A button pusher? Remember, you know, I, I showed up to the video game scene late, but we had uh, PlayStation. Madden was the big game back in the 90s. And I'd play my brother. And I thought I'd have strategy. I'm going to pick a certain team. I, I know all the little plays and this and that and all the secret codes. And he's just sitting there and just, just smoking me. 
I would get so frustrated. I'm like, you're a button pusher. It's probably the way she felt. See, the Lord is with this seven-year-old. And Jehida, the priest, commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, Take her outside under guard and slay her with the sword, whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. But don't get any blood and guts on the carpet. That's what they're saying. Is just keep, keep the mess outside. So they seized her, and she went by way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. Then Jehida made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Covenant. It's the second time we hear this word in the narrative. What is a covenant? It's a contract. It's a promise. It's a, it's a pledge. It's an agreement, right? All throughout the history of Israel, God has made various covenants with the nation of Israel at certain times. Right, We go back to a covenant he made with Adam. He had a covenant with Noah. He had a covenant with uh, Moses. But the problem that each of these covenants had, there was a degree of human participation needed to bring about that promise. Okay, It was imperfect. Okay. Hebrews 8 tells us, it says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Speaking of the law of Moses, it says, Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, A new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. It's nice, right? God wanted to just, what he was doing in those other covenants, it was same situation for us. We, we've got to go to kindergarten before you go to first grade, right? You've got to, go to, you got to go to junior high before you go to senior high, right? You've got to go to high school before college. Each one of those was preparatory, particularly for the nation of Israel. You and I are grandfathered into this new covenant for no other reason than God said, hey, I'm going to just pick the Gentiles. You, you pig-eating, filthy animals, you're coming along for a ride too, right? Isn't that great? We're just happy to be here. Woohoo! He says, but I'm going to write my law into their minds and in their hearts, right? As the Holy Spirit comes into you and I, doesn't that rewire you? You start to think different, right? You have different affections. You know, as Jehida made this covenant, he says they should be the Lord's people. You know, same with us. We should 
sanctify the Lord in our hearts. It isn't just like we get saved and continue to live the life we always wanted to live, our best life now, right? We, we, we run about with our plans. We get saved and continue to do our thing. I, I doubt anyone's salvation if they continue to just, we call them spiritual streakers, the helmet of salvation. It's all they wear. They don't put the rest of the armor on. I'm saved. I'm just going to do whatever I want. doesn't work that way. You are not just saved from hell, but you are saved unto the Lord, right? Some of you guys want to get married, right? And, and, and when you put that ring on, that means, guess what? You get to put up with their vomiting. You get to wash their socks. You get to enjoy their kisses, right? You get to smell their perfume or cologne for the rest of theirs and yours life. You get to. You get to enjoy that person. You get to to be in this loving relationship. You are the people of God. And there's so many promises God has given exclusively to his people. There's a covenant there. You are bought with a price. Do you understand that, Christian? You were, were redeemed from hell unto the Lord's purposes. Unfortunately, the, that Satan's lied to us saying, you need the American dream. You need to have a career. You need to have all this external stuff, right? You need to have all these things in order to be happy. Where is happiness in the equation to the sinner other than in the forgiveness of sins? We're promised something greater. It's called joy, right? Joy isn't found in the abundance of your possessions. You can gain the whole world and lose your life, but you're set aside. It goes on to say in verse 18, and all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal, and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priests appointed officers over the house of the Lord. You know, it's just like as we're going through our self-confrontation. You are to, to put on things, right? You are to start being proactive and doing and obeying and, and, and walking in the commands of God. It also tells us to put off, right? There's things that need to go in our life. There are temples to foreign gods in yours and ours heart and my heart. Right? You may be worshiping at the altar of success. You may be worshiping at the altar of prosperity. Worshiping at the altar of fun. Ooh, that's a tough one. I just want to have fun. Where in the Bible does it say we're to have fun? Right? You could be worshiping at the altar of self-righteousness. Look how great I am. Look at all the great things I'm doing. Examine your heart. What are some things you need to go in and tear down? What are things you've just got to say, hey, this has got to go? Maybe it's just simply you're right to yourself. The priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. I like that as well. The priest just couldn't do it by himself. right? We need to bring other people in to the service of God. Ask yourself this. Is there anything you need to forsake or anything that may impede or compete with our commitment to God? Do you need to reach out? Do you need to bring other officers into the house? Do you need accountability? Do you need other brothers or sisters to be like, hey, look, this is an area I need to safeguard. I need your help. I need your prayers. Do you have someone praying with you and for you daily? Weekly? We need to shut any open doors to our former selves as we walk with the Lord. 
You can't do it alone. Verse 19. Then he took the captains of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, and went by way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house. Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. I'm going to end on this topic here. If you're taking notes, it's Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, we're going to go through verses 11 through 15. You know, as we can get fooled into thinking, Satan, although he is the ruler of the world, he's, he has gained possession of the earth temporarily. When Adam sinned, he forfeited, didn't he? He literally just said, here's the title deed of the earth. Here you go. Have at it. Jesus shows up. He says, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you as a man. In fact, I'm going to beat you on your turf. And I'm going to give you the playbook. Here's how it's going to get done. And, and, and Satan kept roaring and kicking and screaming. He thought he had Jesus at the cross as we talked earlier. Christ came back. That's where Jesus won back the title deed. All right. Now the church age was then born. And we're called to dispossess the land. We are, we are here to bring many into the kingdom through our witness, through our light. We are to, to share our faith and evangelize. And I believe the last person to get saved is going to usher in the rapture. Right? I believe that. You know, Christ has gone away. Remember, he says, i got to go and prepare a place for you guys. You know, just, just think. You know, let's go back to the idea of the apostles. They're sitting around with Jesus. says, I'm going to leave you now after three years. I mean, these guys have left their vocation. They bonded with Christ, and he's, I got to go away. It's a sad moment in a lot of regards. They don't know what he's going to do in the future, you know? It's uncertain. The world's going to start. Every one of those guys is going to die, except for John, at the hand of another person. A violent death, right? You ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs or remember the Jesus Freaks book by DC Talk? Yeah, it goes through how the early church suffered. Jesus even promised. He says, you know, you're going to live a godly, righteous life. You're going to suffer. But he says, I am not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, comforter, helper, teacher. You're going to have this omniscient spirit in you and upon you, right? He's going to take a fisherman who couldn't catch fish without Jesus telling him where the fish are. Remember, I love that story. He tells Jesus, no, we can't fish in that part of the lake. There's no fish there. It's like our prayer life. God. You don't know what you're talking about. It's just Peter. Put your nets down. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Nets come in. Oh, I'm a sinful man. Oh. The same guy who throws his cloak on before he goes swimming with a net full of fish off the boat. Remember that story? Peter, Peter probably was self-defeating in a lot of areas of his life. But then, Holy Spirit comes upon him. What happened? Preaches huge sermon. 3,000 people get saved. He must have been like, Did you guys plant all these guys just to pull a joke on me? Because you know me. I'm always putting my foot in my mouth. Christian, we're not fighting for victory. See, you and I know the end. Our king is coming back with us. Right? He's coming back for his nation of Israel. He's going to set up shop. You and I are going to be able 
to experience the planet Earth as God intended it with him reigning and ruling from Jerusalem. And we're going to be his ambassadors. We're going to be kings and priests ruling with a rod of iron, right? You get to crack people on the head with your rod of iron. That's what it's there for, capital punishment. We are going to experience the earth for a thousand years what it's like to have Christ on this earth, right? We get discouraged. Just think how discouraged these guys were. Seven years, rather six years, this woman is just reigning in tyranny. They're discouraged. They're beat down. I think the church gets into that same mindset going, Lord, just when you're coming back, we, we just bathe ourselves in media daily, and all it is is negativity, right? It's just, and it's not truth, is it? It's, it's, it's opinions of man. It's manipulation. It's disinformation to get your eyes off of the Lord, right? Our only source of truth are the promises of God. We, he's not losing control. He's not up there going, man, what am I going to do? We're not falling apart. We're falling together. Colossians 2, if you've turned there. It says, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through the faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. You know, what's our greatest fear? Death, right? When you understand Christ is defeated, your greatest fear the fact that one day you are going to die and to cease physically existing. Do you ever think back before you're walking with the Lord what death would look like? Do you ever freak yourself out? You know, especially I'd sit around stoned, put the pillow over my head. And, What's it like to die? You're like, oh! I can't even be alone with my dark thoughts for 10 seconds, let alone going, really, what happens? You know, the cable TV likes to tell us, oh, you're going to see this tunnel of light. You're going to walk to the you know, there are all these heaven tourists, these little kids. I came back and Jesus looks just like one of the Bee Gees. And, you know, we're going to be in heaven with John the Baptist. And all those kids were called frauds. And The world has no idea what happens after, after the last breath is taken. But the Bible tells us to be absent in the flesh is to be present with the Lord, if you're a believer. But if you're an unbeliever, oh boy. Yeah, you go over to Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. You're waiting a resurrection unto eternal death and damnation and separation from God for all eternity. And you're going to be completely conscious while being tormented because the justice of God will have to have its way in your life. We're going to see Satan's going to be thrown into the same lake of fire. He'll be judged as well. He raised Christ from the dead. It says, and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision <coughs> of your flesh, he has made alive. <coughs> Union break, hold on. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you, underline this, underline this, all trespasses, even the ones you're going to commit later today and tomorrow. Christ died for all of your sins, right? See, he addresses the need that you are going to live for eternity. Second, the greatest need you and I have is what? Forgiveness of sin, right? When you receive the forgiveness of God, you realize you're clean. He loves you. 
having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. You know, Jesus says, well, if you don't want to go to heaven based on what I do for you, he says, there's another way. There's another way to heaven. Do you know that? There's two ways to heaven. Jesus said what? Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. How are we all doing on that? It's like if we would get together as a church and go, all right, let's go down to Bucky's, right? Calumet Waterworks Park. Let's have a contest. See who can jump the furthest. See who can jump to Canada first. How would we do? <laughs> Some of us may get a little further than the other, but none of us are going to do in one single leap a jump to, to Canada, are we? We're all going to be looking for Uperlites at the deep end. having wiped out their handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I like this. Verse 15 is where I'm homing. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Satan has no power over you, Christian, as long as you walk in the commands of God. He's disarmed those powers. You can't blame Satan for anything going on in your life. Even I believe even before you were born. He may have influenced you. He may have enticed you. Right? Where does sin originate from as we learned last week in class? Our hearts, our desires. Right? Satan just goes, eat thirds. Come on, do it again. Just come on. Yeah. Christ disarmed principalities and powers. You know, you remember when the gathering demoniac threw himself before Christ and said, what do you have to do with us? Right? He acknowledged the lordship Christ had over his life. What do you have to do with us before our time? Going, hey, we're not ready to, to go yet. And, and, and Christ, of course, he just cast him into a package of bacon there and he has power over that. He disarmed principalities. So when you, when you get threatened, when you look at the news and you realize, you know, one political party is now swaying and the other political party is not doing so hot and you get all frustrated because you think God is going to send a man to deliver our country so we can continue to live a life of self-indulgence, right? Satan doesn't have control of our country, right? He doesn't have control of our church. God is simply allowing things to go the way they are, and he's going to show up and do his thing, but he's disarmed them. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. It's just like this. We got this picture of Athalia here. He made a spectacle out of her. He chose a baby, a seven-year-old kid, and be like, here's the king. It, it kind of coincides with what we just celebrated, right? We, we celebrated Christmas, where to us a child is born, right? God came in as the weakest thing he could find. That's a, 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 a born baby. You know, every animal born can pretty much take care of itself to some degree. Have you ever noticed that? There, there is some self-sufficiency to most creatures in, in creation, except for a human. You can't just leave a human baby alone. Right? Without it suffering. 
Christ made himself vulnerable, right? He, he subjected himself to the hands that he created. He grew in stature. He grew into a young man. He grew into uh, the God-man, left his first estate, no powers, right? He subjected himself to the worst man could dole out to him, right? The worst of man and the best of God collided at the cross to disarm Satan. Because Satan, as he enticed Adam and Eve to sin, see, Adam and Eve did not need to die. That was a foreign invasive species to the human condition, right? God intended for humankind to spend eternity with him with uninterrupted fellowship. He says, the day you eat of that tree, you surely are going to die. Now, we know they didn't physically die. They were removed from the garden. But a separation occurred. And a restoration needed to take place. I wonder if Adam sat at the gate of the garden. Mm -hmm. My wife ate me out of house and home. I bet you he just sat there and he just had those moments. Stupid, stupid, stupid. He had to wait patiently for what God was going to do. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. When Christ died, remember what he declared. He said, it is finished. It's done. The promise came true. Christ was crucified. Christ declared, hey, the victory is won. The books are balanced. I paid it all for humankind. Nothing can be added to it. All they need to do is receive it. Satan, you're dead, right? Death, where is your victory? Hades, where is your sting, right? He broke the power of darkness in our life because we have the blood of Christ on us. Christian, we're not fighting for victory. We're here to rescue the POWs. We're here to dispossess the land. We are here to take authority until the Lord takes us out of here. We have work to do. We're on watch. We're the captains. We're the guards. We are, even on our days off, we are on watch, right? We are stewards. Wherever God has placed you, you're a steward over your home, over your work, over your school, over your play. You are God's man. Look for those opportunities to be rude for Jesus. Right? They're not going to invite you drinking anyway. Right? They're going to call you at 2 in the morning. Right? They're going to they're come to you when they need you. But remember, Christian, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The power has been broken. Right? You can have victory over sin. Right? We just read that. You are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Your flesh has been separated from you. Now walk in it. So let's pray.